Hello. We have Nicole and Brendan on the phone. <laughs> Nicole and Brendan, can we get Jen Burt? Nicole, Brendan, and Jen Burt on the phone. Greetings. You reached the Hi, Colin. Cascading Waters. Uh, uh, sorry, totally Colin. had you. You just got Man. played by a voicemail message. It's December the 6th, 2012, and this is my Nicole Apostola. Hello. Jen Burt. Hi. Brendan Mellican. How are you, sir? And I'm Jim Polito. And it's been a few weeks since we've done a show. And so there are, at this point, literally dozens of topics. This past city council meeting itself was, you know, multiple shows worth of, uh, I think, local issues that are, that are, uh, have been moved to the front burner. But today on the show, in order to somehow keep this list manageable, we're going to go around and uh, we're just going to talk about whatever people's top stories of the week or the stories most important to them are. Um, I think that probably the most important story of the week, or at least the story that will sort of have the most ramifications down the road, may be the fact that we actually have an ice skating rink behind City Hall. After years of having a rink with no ice, we now have ice as of last weekend. There was a huge thousands and thousands and thousands of people came out to skate on that inaugural evening. And check it out, Jen. You were there, right? Yeah, we went. We didn't. We didn't get to go ice skating because they, they like it was very typical Worcester. They they didn't. They weren't expecting how like many people came out. But well, it was how'd the ice awesome. The ice. It was good. Yeah. Nice. We actually have some high definition video of the of the event that we're going to put on next week's video show, including myself eating some of the ice. I couldn't go skating, despite the fact on this show. I vowed I would go skating. They did run out of skates on the opening night, but we got a nice voucher for free skating. So, anyway, it was a wonderful it was a wonderful event. It did not feel like you were behind City Hall, did it? No, and it was it was nice. You know, I I have hated on the whole ice skating rink concept since they have like failed to put ice there for like ever. But it, at the end of the day, it felt really great to be finally behind there and actually have ice. Sorry. It did. It did. I also have been. I also have hated on this <laughs> extensively and mocked this extensively. I, you know, I think that when you have a rink with no ice in it, you definitely got to like. You, I mean, it's it's a must mock situation. But once you have a rink with ice in it, what's not to love? I, you know, I'm not mad at you anymore. Ice skating rink. I think you're great. I know Nicole Apostolic <laughs> is still against that ice skating rink. Nicole, do you want to say something about this, or do you want to just? Pass over it in silence. You know, you know, Mike. It's not that I have a problem with the rink. I just have a problem with transparency and funding. That's all. There you go. I love well, ice. The, the ice itself was transparent. <laughs> so you'll be happy about that. <laughs> Brendan, did you have any topics? Did you have did, did you have anything to say about the rink, or did you have a topic in mind? I did. First, I wanted to apologize for that awful noise that just happened in the background. That was Colin Novick driving by me on a little scooter. Um, but uh, the, uh, you know, the, the rink itself looks great. And, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. I also hated, uh, massively on the, the skating rink. I, I really have no use personally for ice skating, but that's just me. And I, I would never, you know, will that upon anybody. 
uh, that belief system there. But, you know, I, I had a nice conversation with um, Rob Antonelli from the Fox Department the other night, and, you know, he was talking about a lot of the things that they did for setup that are kind of behind the scenes. And it, it may be, like, in my opinion, like the first, like, large project, where, like, public project where the city got tons of stuff right. Like, you know, the music that they have down there, they, they, the law department was having a hard time navigating, apparently, uh, things like ASCAP and BMI royalties that need to be paid for public performance uh, music of, of copyrighted music and whatnot. So they found a way to get around that buying a, a subscription to satellite radio, which is super cheap, but actually covers all of the royalties that you need to pay out. Uh, but it also means that they can play just about any kind of music that you want down there. And it also sounds like they, they might, at least in theory, be open to some repurposing of the ice, like after hours and whatnot. I was joking around, like maybe we could get a curling league going or whatnot. Um, but I'm not sure if we have any more call for curling than we do ice skating in the Worcester. But it's at least nice to hear that they have a system in play where you know more could be done than what is currently being done down there, which is great because it's obviously a significant investment, uh, transparent or not. You know, it, it's there, and it, it seems as though they're willing to uh, you know, push the boundaries of what is possible with the Oval. So well done for the city, I guess. Good job. Good job. I'm going to try to get Kevin on the call just a second. Oh, and, you know, there were some concerns as well, too. I, I remember about um, payment, that they were taking cash only. It was also mentioned to me that they are looking at um, a, a solution like using Square or some other uh, card reader oh. that someone could uh, handle on a uh, smartphone to, um, to be able to take debit card or credit card payments down there as well. So that's also good to hear. That's awesome. Kevin Cassin is now on the show. I want to switch it back to Brendan and say, Brendan, did you have a top topic of the week to talk about? Aside I would love to talk about weed at the city council. It's uh, you know, I, I'm. It, so let me let me let me let me frame this. You tell me if I'm framing it wrong. Which is that Connie Luke's, with the backing of Kate Toomey, basically went out there and said we should seriously talk about preventing people from distributing medical marijuana in the city of Worcester. Yes. Devil weed. And and the rest of the council was like, forget about that. Yeah, and rightfully so. You know, and I, I made a, had a few casual conversations with, with folks before the meeting, and you know, just pointing out simply that even if you just look at, at vote tallies, right? I mean, it, you can't argue the fact now that that marijuana is actually more popular in the city of Worcester than anyone currently serving on the city council. And going into an election year, that would seem to be the sort of thing that would be important for elected officials to keep in mind. Uh, but uh, as seems to be more often the case uh, as of late, uh, Connie Lukes and Kate Toomey uh, could care less about uh, you know what constituents and the city is actually interested in they have their own agenda but thankfully the rest of the city council wised up and realized that uh one it's really early to make any sort of decision on that because even the state department of public health isn't quite sure how they're going to uh, handle the rollout of uh, dispensaries and grows um but more importantly it seems like it's something that the city of worcester is actually in favor of um, not just even the the voters as a whole, but, you know, more, most importantly, young voters, which are soon to be start coming older voters, are insanely in favor of, uh, you know, medical marijuana, and getting in the way of that seems just like a terrible political decision. Kevin, for some, were you gonna... for, for some, I, th I think, um, I think I agree with you 100% there, um, Brendan, but I think the other part is that it actually made sense for Connie and for Kate to kind of do that. It was you know, get another signal to their, you know, far-right conservative base of, you know, this yeah. is who I am, support me, you know. And so so it's not like Connie had any thought in the world that she was going to make any progress on this, and she, I'm sure she knew that she was going to be looked down on and what have you, but it was something she wanted, to, it was a signal she wanted to make to her, her Tea Party folks. And I think, you know, I think we all seen with Council Toomey, and we saw this during the, the state rep race of just her, really playing to the, the very conservative base. 
No, absolutely. In, in a way, I'm actually glad that they both took that stand because, you know, it, I think it's been a long time since going into a uh, local election cycle that there's been an issue that's been on the table, even if it's only been on the sidelines, that is something that clearly people are passionate about. And as silly as it sounds, uh, because we're talking about weed, uh, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it is something that a lot of people are very passionate about. You know, as we record this, uh, officially in Colorado, uh, you know, marijuana is no longer le- illegal. Uh, you know, I mean, and it, it seems to be something that's being discussed more and more uh, on a national level, even in mainstream media. It's no longer something that's just snickered at. The entire country and the majority of the entire country is in favor of uh, this happening more and more. Uh, and, you know, it, it's nice, I, I think, in, a, in an awkward way that we have local officials that are willing to marginalize themselves to win the favoritism of, of a relatively small uh, demographic, uh, one that gets even smaller during local election cycles. Uh, and, and, you know, hopefully the rest of the city keeps that in mind when it comes time to vote next year. And it, it's also a reminder to us that we need to be very good about cataloging these votes. So some yeah. through the years we've kept track and, and brought them out come election time. And so I definitely want to flag this as one that's going to go into our chart. Um, so yeah. when it does come election time, we can say here's where, here's where your vote council voted on this item. Yes. It's definitely rare for people to take a stand in the city council on something controversial. So, I don't know. It's interesting that they decided to do it around this issue. Nicole Apostola. Yeah. How are you? I'm very well. Now, of all the many dozens of issues that you have blogged about this week, can you pick one of them that we should talk about? Can I pick three? No. 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 You will have, if, depending on how depending on how long this call goes, you may have a chance for a second or a third. But one, one, one item per round. Um, well, I, I think um, there was an interesting moment at the city council on Tuesday, or moments, where uh, there was a tax rate hearing. I don't understand any of that. But essentially, uh, it turned into this larger discussion about whether the schools were being underfunded. Um, so the schools, uh, according to the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, um, the the city of Worcester is underfunding schools by a little bit over 400000 And Mike Germain went into this whole complicated tirade about how he didn't know if the schools were being overfunded by $4 million or underfunded by $4 million, but he wanted an independent audit that would be conducted by the city auditor. And Wait, why is that an independent audit if the city well, auditor, auditor <laughs> and, and then later on... Um, Colin Novick is now on the call. Nicole, it's actually his second time on the show. <laughs> we also heard your moped earlier. So, so Mike then was corrected by Tom Sedellis, who was obviously trying to prompt him to the correct answer, which was that he wanted an operational audit of the schools, which I still think wouldn't tell him what he wants to know, which is if the schools are being underfunded according to the state uh, foundation formula. So uh, Mike, unfortunately, didn't seem like he knew what he was talking about. Um, And then later on, um, Joe O'Brien, over concerns about underfunding the schools, decided to um, hold that vote under privilege, um, whereupon the city, the the meeting was, um, uh, had a brief recess in which he was um, ushered into the mayor's office, read the riot act, and then uh, the meeting went on, and he unheld it due to a sudden change of mind. So it was a very exciting meeting on Tuesday. It does sound like an exciting meeting. Why is there confusion over whether we're funding the schools? 
adequately or not? Because it depends on how you cut the cake. Um, <laughs> no, we thought there's the there's the money that the city puts in, but there are different categories. And what they're talking about in terms of minimum legal funding is some and most of what the schools do, but not all of what it takes to run a school system. Like transportation isn't included, and there are other things which aren't included. So the city's saying, wait a minute, the minimum number is X. We're giving you X. And the school department is saying, there's the minimum number, but there are also state mandates that we have to meet. And it's X plus Y plus Z. And if you give us X, we can't actually do all that we're supposed to and required to do. So, so it may be that they're that they're that they're that that overall they're. Wait. So let me let me let me let me rephrase what you just said and tell me if I'm confused or not. I know I'm confused, but tell me how confused I am. Is the issue here that 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 they're saying, well, listen, we're giving the schools more money than we, than we have to give the schools, and the answer is, well, you're not giving them the the amount of money in the right categories. Partly, partly, um, it's that. The city has to do transportation, and transportation doesn't entirely fit within this minimum number. So they're saying, but wait a minute, we gave you the amount of money which equals the minimum number. And the school department's saying, the problem is that we have to do transportation in some ways too, and that means that we actually didn't make the minimum because we are required to move all the special education kids in special buses to school. And that doesn't count towards the minimum. It's still something we're legally required to do, for instance. So, you, so what you're saying, Colin, is that like there's one subsection of the Mass General Law that says the foundation budget is X, and then there's another subsection of the Mass General Law that says transportation is required for certain students. The city wants to view both of those subsections of general law as being the same thing uh, because the number is essentially the same thing, even though the money is not going to where Mass General Law says it should be going. Right, and it turns out that that isn't the only category. There are other categories that include adult education and nutrition as well as other things. And apparently toilet paper. And all those things are things which they have to do and are supposed to do and our community wants them to do, but don't actually help you get to X. Half of me, I don't know if this is overly cynical, but there's a small part of me, I shouldn't say half of me, a small part of me that actually wishes that the city council uh, would defund uh, the schools to a greater degree because they're all getting old, uh, and I think it would be uh, nice in a way to have them get old right in time for our underfunded uh, Wait, school children to all hit the streets. Are the city councils start... getting old or the schools are getting old? The city council is getting old, and, and it would be nice to have all these uh, underfunded school children hit the street with uh, no uh, meaningful skills and, and then be able to mug uh, and roll all these elderly uh, city councilors so they can see they can reap the fruits of their uh, their efforts. It's like Fox uh, today. Colin, were there any actually any any legal changes going into this year uh, addressing and oh, no. part of this? Was this all? This is all just the way it's been, right? Right. Well, the city has been inadequately funding the school system for multiple years, and one of the other things that sort of doesn't sit well with the city is that the state law—you'll love this—says that if you don't make that basic X category, you owe that to next year. So it ends up being X plus whatever you didn't pay last year, and it's cumulative. Right. So if you underfund the school system consistently for two or three years, you not only have to do X, you actually start to get this, like, debt buildup. Because the idea is that education is cumulative. 
and that facilities require ongoing care and that kids require cumulative education and you can't constantly shortchange them and not at some point have to basically catch up again. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't like that because that means there's a higher number. <laughs> but, but the foundation budget itself, I mean, that goes back to the early 90s, if I'm not mistaken, so I mean, not much has, has really changed with that. So it's not something that should be confusing for uh, either the administration or the elected officials uh, directing the administration. Well, yeah, but here's the trick. It ends up being one of those where it's numbers that make a ton of sense to the people who are accountants and auditors and business managers for the school system. On the other hand, these are considered to be weird and arcane rules to the people who are running the municipal system because they have their own set of rules. And because there isn't a degree of trust between the school system and the city system, the city is assuming that the school guys are all doing hocus-pocus. And, um, and it's more that they just don't happen to be familiar with the arcane and fun nature, which is school system funding equations. So whenever we're talking about an operational audit, what Councillor Germaine was really asking for is to say, I would like I would like I would like an auditor from the city side of city government to look over the schools' books and verify that the auditors on the school side are telling the truth. No. An operational no. audit would go in and say, Are you doing this as efficiently as you possibly could? Which may or may not be interesting but doesn't change the fact that you are still legally required to do X. And you may oh, be able so to an do operational... more with X, but you're still not doing it. Oh, that. yeah. So he doesn't know what he's asking for. Well, so no, everyone is sufficiently confused now, right? No, but I think that he does <laughs> partially know what he's asking for, because I do think it goes back to this mistrust between the city side and the school side, where they're convinced that the school people don't know what they're doing and are wasting money and are playing hocus-pocus. I think that an operational audit is what sort of getting at that mistrust that they don't know what they're doing and aren't running the system the way they're supposed to, and that, that part is actually valid. The thing, though, is that it, it isn't actually compatible with the current argument, which is you guys aren't meeting the legal minimum. Right. That no matter what, no matter what, some, unless somebody comes in with some sort of amazing, somebody from the city comes in with some sort of amazing new idea of what should be going on in the schools you're still going to have some kind of huge no, shortfall. even if they come in with the amazing idea, you still have to put X dollars in. Hmm. Yeah, so the operational audit could come back and say, you guys are doing it all wrong, but that still doesn't change the fact that the schools are unfunded. This, funding formula, this funding formula is not based on how much stuff, stuff actually costs. It's based on... A formula? It, yes. But it, it's based on a formula as to what things cost back in the 1990s. It never okay. really got revisited and updated. So what ends up happening is it's even a problem where even if you fund up to X, if you go around the state, most communities overfund their school system beyond that minimum because nobody went back to update the 1990 numbers. So the amazing part is actually that Worcester is trying to run a school system not meeting the legal minimums for something which hasn't even been corrected for more or less sort of like inflation and cost of education. There may be another more accurate way to phrase that, Paul, too, where other communities overfund based on the formula of uh, public education because they're not callous, cold-hearted bastards who hate children. <laughs> and actually, they're not really overfunding. They're simply trying to make sure that the kids get an adequate education. Exactly. They're, exactly. They're right. going beyond the absolute, absolute legal minimum. 
Right. You know, this is like every other discussion of school issues on this show in that it just depresses me. No, I don't, no, no, it makes no. me just want to talk about the schools so much less than I even do now. <laughs> no, Mike, here's the deal, though. There has been a chronic underfunding of the school system, and last year, for the first time in a long time, the city actually started to kick some money back into the school system side. And this okay. year, in the funding and budgeting process and the tax levy process, they're actively having a conversation about meeting legal minimums and having a conversation about it. Um, this is something that wasn't even on the radar. So uh, in many ways, the fact that you know about it is good. But at the same time, Colin, I think there's a good argument to be made that the state was having, especially in the Department of Revenue, was having conversations about uh, revenues being short, not just this year, but for the next two years. And those were relatively public conversations that most communities were well aware of. And I don't want to sound too conspiratorial, but it does sound seem kind of odd that in a year where everybody seemed to know that something like what is happening now with, uh, you know, prospective 9C cuts uh, and other uh, cuts from in, in terms of state aid were going to come in some form in all likelihood, that that's the one year the city decides, hey, let's throw a little bit more into the pot, and suddenly they don't actually have to dish out. Yeah, you've gone beyond my, my limited knowledge of these things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you know, nobody likes what's happening now on the state side, but again, you know, revenue predict predictions or projections are what they are, and, and you know, with the state is projecting that we're going to see decreased revenue for the next two years as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, well. I want to move on to Kevin Kassan. Kevin probably also has a depressing topic. Kevin, what is, what is your top topic of the week? Um, I don't know. I, I, I was following the ice skating rink. I've been following the city, the city council tax thing. I think the part that Nicole didn't touch that I, um, was important to me was just the fact of the, the open meeting law stuff around the, the, all of a sudden the emergency, um, you know, time out at, at city council. Um, and I, I think I was, I was glad to see that, um, it sounds like Walter Bird was bird dogging that and the clerk was bird dogging oh. that. And I think, um, that, that was something that was important to me. Mm. This is, I mean, this isn't an ongoing concern, but it's, it also sounds like, at least from what I've heard that, yeah, that like people were sort of on top of this and being like, whatever you're doing, you need to make sure that like, you at least follow the letter of open meeting law. And it hasn't, wasn't one of these things where people just are like, whatever, do whatever you want, say whatever you want. Uh, is that it? No, Jen Burt. No. Yeah. Um, I I think the other thing I want to talk about mainly was the Stone Soup anniversary party is this Saturday, uh, six to nine at uh, Centro Las Americas, which is uh, eleven Sycamore Street. Um, and we're gonna have music. Um, we're gonna get some awards for people uh, that have been. Um, volunteering, and we're launching an Indiegogo campaign for $10,000 uh, to raise kind of the last bit we need for construction. So, how is it going? How's it going? How's the construction going? It's it's closing in on the end. Um, Are you willing to commit to an opening date? No, <laughs> uh, because I've I've committed to too many opening dates on the show, yeah. and then. Things happen. Construction takes longer than we think. But if you walk by there, you see lots of things are happening. If you can't walk by there, there's pictures on our Facebook page. Um, we're, yeah, we're definitely they're putting in beams to uh, hold up kind of the uh, kitchen area, which was where the worst part of the fire was, and so it's really 
coming along. I know it's 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 been exciting to see the progress. I'm I'm so frustrated that I can never get a a, a good time that my expectations are continually dashed. But <laughs> Stone Soup is definitely moving forward in very very concrete ways. Yeah. Um, I want to so I want to rotate through the panel again for topics. If anybody has to go, just say you got to go and hang up. Um, has anyone so talked with the open space and recreation plan? Oh, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Wait a second, hold on. Um, so my I, I got to say I got to say my second thing my second my second topic that I really is important to me this week is something that we published in Happiness Pony, which is a 1970 chart called Who Rules Worcester, Spiderweb of Control. You can see this at pieandcoffee.org. This is a chart, basically, of who's on the board of directors of what bank in in Worcester in 1970, and how this is sinister. Um, I don't know. I've gotten a lot of very interesting phys- or like like face to face feedback. Everybody who I give this happiness point to just looks at this chart with great interest and is very excited. I have gotten very little information or very little sort of verbal fe- detailed feedback, especially uh, especially as regarding. Um, doing an update for 2012 or 2013. I don't know if anybody here on the panel has any feedback on that chart. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a hard time making it. Anytime I blew the chart up enough on, on uh, monitor to actually be able to read the names, I, I ended up having to uh, like miss the, the majority of the chart. So it was actually hard drawing connections from person to person. It is a crazy chart. I think that half of the work, half of the work of a project like this, is the information design of getting all the data and putting it on a piece of paper in such a way that somebody can uh, interpret it and read into it. Yeah, it wasn't the best flow chart in the world. I mean, you could probably yeah. make an argument that that chart could very well have been the, uh, the catalyst for the movie Twelve Monkeys. <laughs> it, was, it was an exceedingly confusing mishmash of ideas all being thrown together at once. I like that. I like that. Are any of you guys are any of you guys are any of you guys enthusiastic about a 2013 revision of that chart, or does that seem irrelevant to you? I'm very. I think I would actually be very interested. Yeah. Like, what yeah. do you want to see in a chart like that? I feel like who's related, like who's related to who, who's who has employed who, who's on the board of directors of what. Well, you, I don't know. You, you said that I, I think you, you nailed it when you said what the chart represented in 1970s. Back in the 70s, the city was still dominated by a local banking industry, so those financiers were very much the people who uh, were greenlighting uh, a, a significant number of projects and whatnot. I mean, that was where the money in the city was coming from. Since that time, through uh, various degrees of banking deregulation, that system just doesn't exist, and most of our local banks have either been bought out by larger banks or have been marginalized by larger banks. There are probably other industries, though, that you could start with. Uh, to start drawing a chart like that, uh, you know, good examples would probably be companies like Hanover or Unum or whatnot, the larger uh, employers and players who tend to have their stamp on just about any capital development project in the city as somehow uh, bankrolling uh, those projects. And from there, you know, it would probably be, be a relatively natural process to, to draw everything together. That's, that's what I would be interested to do. The Worcester Business Journal today published their updated list of uh, the top five employers, the top ten employers in the city. And that's really, I think, where I would want to start is to say who are the top five employers in the city, and who is on the board, and who is the executive, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just and just sort of work from there. You know, br- like bring in politicians, like I said, like bring in you know who is who is married, you know, who is whose son-in-law, and just happens to be a politician, or just happens to be this or that. Um, and 
I'm interested in it not because I think that it's sinister. Like there are people who are active in the world and there are people who are like connected to other people and we trust our friends and we trust our relatives and you know, we we people are a bit clannish uh naturally and that I think is fine and dandy. Uh I think it's just interesting to 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 tease out those connections because Things can make more sense, and people can feel less frustrated with what's going on mm-hmm. whenever they say, aha, now I can sort of see what are the connections between these two groups, and now I see why they're working. Uh, you know, thing, Things make sense whenever I realize that these groups might be working closely together on certain things. Especially when our listenership and viewership oftentimes claims that we are their primary source for news in Worcester. It might be helpful to actually put something yeah. like that together. <laughs> But no, I mean, I'm, re- yeah. I'm related to and connected to no one in the city, so just 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 for that little 508 power chart. But it, it is healthy to understand the differences between even small, you know, political dynasties and whatnot in the area. The difference between like the Murray, you know, group and the, you know, the, um, you know, any and whatever the McGovern group, which kind of overlaps and whatnot, but it is still somewhat different versus like the Mariano party and whatnot. I mean, the, the, the people actually exist, and it's not a bad thing to point out that they actually exist and do have certain degrees of control in the city. And Nicole yes. has a great idea of making sure that we also represent the people who have imaginary supporters. Mm. <laughs> so Billy Bro, Billy Bro, his board like director, Billy Bro, Gary Vecchio, Godot, Tyler Durden, they're all on the Maine South Committee for Public Safety, right? The other thing I'd be interested in seeing how you represent are people who are powerful but who are connected to no one, like Barry Kroc. You know, how do you represent someone like that who I think has a decent amount of power but doesn't have any friends. Iconoclast. Yeah, they'd have to be in their Lone own wolf. category. Ronin. You would call the you would call that person a Ronin during uh, <laughs> during if, during during Shogun era Japan. I yeah. Think. If you have power and influence and never exercise it and aren't connected to anyone, then then you don't really have any power or influence. It's well, magic. I mean, he tears down buildings. There's a certain power in that, I guess. It's just, people, it's just people. It's just, it's just people who are. It's just people who are powerful, but are not that interested in like, in like these networks of power. Yeah. Who are not, be, who are not interested in the spider web of control, as that chart put it. I'd be interested in people who are uh, not even with us anymore, uh, but still in, have a certain degree of influence over the city, just based on their legacies or whatnot. Mm. So, like Judith Light. <laughs> <laughs> Judith Light won a Tony, okay? <laughs> Bring back Tony Danza. We need to exercise. Yeah. We need an exorcism. Oh, my goodness. We we could have gotten Danny Pintaro for the ice skating rink opening. Just saying. Nobody even Nicole. asked Eddie Mecca. <laughs> oh. Nicole Apostolo, do you ha- do you have do you have a do you have a, a topic that you're interested or Brett, I should say Brendan Malikin, you're next in the in the line. Brendan, do you have a topic to, that you would also like to discuss this week? Not really, but I had a thought going back a really quick thought going back to the school conversation though. If there was a, it was to be an audit of of the public schools and the way they spend their money, it would seem to be valuable to actually maybe take a look at all of the uh, grants. Um, un, you know that have become unfunded uh, uh, programs of sort that we've taken on over the years that we still spend money on, but we, you know we took them on board because they seemed to make great sense because they had money, uh, state and federal money attached to them or private money attached to them on the outset, uh, but over time have lost their funding but still remain in hmm. play. I mean, there might actually be places in, in, in the public schools where we are uh, doing things uh, with the best interest of children in mind, but we're spending money on programs that are not necessarily necessary anymore. 
Now, a footnote to Brendan's comment about the audit is you should know that every single year the Worcester School Department has two audits. One is done for the school side, and one is done by the city on the school side. So there are already, just so you know, two audits every single year of the Worcester Public Schools. But who audits the auditors, Colin? <laughs> My cat. <laughs> um, Nicole, do you do you have a do you have a, a second topic? You know, I do. Um, as uh, you guys all know, um, our friend Jeff had died uh, two years ago, last November, and in a couple of days, it's going to be his birthday. And I just thought, especially past like week, week and a half, there have been so many Jeff Barnard like like moments that I just wish that he he were around for, like. Jim Polito leaving TAG, Mark Rojas is in the news again. Um, you know, so all of these things, I feel like they're all, all these, these Jeff things coming back up. I, I just, I don't know, signs from the heavens. So that would be a, an example of somebody who is deceased but still belongs on the power chart. Correct. It's absolutely. Are we talking absolutely. about Jim uh, Polito or? <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Jeff Barnard is able to take down Jim Polito from beyond the grave. Exactly. I should just mention in passing that this weekend was also start at the station, the great arts festival, holiday arts festival at Union Station, and I saw Jeff's wife, Kathy, there. Yep. She seems to be doing well. Hi, Kathy, if you're listening to the show. Um, oh, my goodness. Who's next on the list? Kevin Kassin. Um I have a couple announcements I'd, I'd like to get in there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, one is on, on the... Um, on the 13th, the Worcester Antic Foreclosure Team is doing their first fundraiser ever. It's a spaghetti dinner that's going to be over at the Raven. Um, okay. So it's 6 o'clock on Thursday the 13th. Uh, and then here's one that maybe a little bit of a conversation. Um, the annual uh, longest night is December 21st. That's the night where across the country folks remember uh, people that have died um, because of homelessness. And so the um, Community Health Link Hope uh, Group is organizing a uh, a uh, procession and uh, memorial service on the evening of the 21st. So folks are meeting at 160 Chandler Street starting at 5 o'clock and then marching over to Mount Sinai Church over on the corner of, of Wellington and and, uh, and doing that uh, service over there. So Wait, they're, st they're starting where on Chandler Street? 162 Chandler. So I I, okay. I, I believe that's the CHL building is my assumption. I haven't actually confirmed that, but okay. 162 Chandler. If I had a web browser open, I could confirm it, but I'm listening too hard to open my web browser. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that I'm glad that that is, I'm glad that that continues to happen as an event. Jen Burt, do you have any do you have any topics? Um, I got, I got a you book. Gonna, the, what? You got a book? You got a book? I got a book. I have a book. A book of the week from the HX Library, um, Path to Utopia, by uh, Cindy Milstein and uh, Eric Ruin. It's a great little book. I read it in like half an hour. It's, it's uh, Eric Ruin is from uh, Jesse's uh, Co-op, which is an art, graphic art co-op. They do a lot of cool images. I mean, and Timmy Milstein is, in my opinion, one of the best anarchist writers right now. It's a nice little book. One of the chapters is called uh, Solidarity is Pizza. Some other stuff about how awesome libraries are. We have it over at the <laughs> library. <laughs> Is this is called Path to Utopia? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Jen Burt's Book of the Week. Well, guys, thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks for doing the 508 program. Um, 
I hope we will do it. I hope we will get back onto our weekly schedule because there are many, many dozens and dozens and dozens of issues to be talking about in the city of Worcester. People at home, if you get any feedback, you can email us at pieandcoffee at gmail.com. This week it has been Brendan Malikin, Nicole Apostola, Kevin Kassen, Colin Novick, Jen Burt. I am Michael Benedetti. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care, buddy. Thank you.